Praise the Lord, everyone. You can be seated. Hallelujah. Feel a lot better. You couldn't see me. Turn around, looking for me, couldn't find me. Feel a little better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, ain't God good? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. Well, last time I came up here, um, started out with some words of wisdom for young people concerning relationships and uh, come here tonight with another uh, nugget for you, you young people for relationships concerning communication and uh, the story about this Swedish couple that had gone to the fair and they were walking along and they walked by and saw this sign that said helicopter rides and the husband said oh helicopter rides $50 I like helicopter rides the wife looked at him and says Olaf $50 is $50 he says okay so they went on well a year went by and the fair came back to town and there was Olaf and his wife, they were at the fair again walking along, and lo and behold, there was that helicopter ride again for $50. And Olaf said, oh, helicopter ride, $50, $50. I love helicopter ride. And his wife looked at him and said, Olaf, $50 is $50. He said, oh, you're right. Well, the pilot of the helicopter couldn't help but overhear, and he said, folks, you were here last year, kind of wanted to take a ride, and you didn't. And this year, you ain't going to take a ride. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. He says, I'll take you up in this helicopter. And if you can do the whole ride without saying a word, the ride's free. He said, oh, that'd be great. So, Olaf and his wife, they get in the helicopter, and they take off. Man, this old pilot is just... He's doing banks, and he's doing turns, and he's doing loops, and man, he's just giving them a ride. And they get done with the ride, and he lands the helicopter, turns the engine off, turns around, said, how'd you like the ride? And he stopped, and he goes, where's your wife? He says, oh, when you was flying, you was doing those loops and those curves and stuff, she fell out. He said, well, why didn't you say something? He said, $50 is $50. So no one to keep quiet, fellas. <laughs> $50 is $50. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's all just relax a minute. God's been good to us. Hallelujah. He's got great things in store for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bringing something kind of a little different tonight, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm the one that's needing to relax, I think. But I just got to obey the Holy Ghost. And uh, if you'll turn with me tonight to Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. I'll let you be seated. Again, I want to say thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. And uh, it's good to be a part of Truth Church. Good to be a part of Truth Church. Appreciate each and every one of my brothers and sisters. You guys are awesome. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell all my friends about you. All two of them. I'll let them both know about you. 
Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in loneliness of mind, let us esteem each other, esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But verse 7 says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Hallelujah. Let's all pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. We're asking you, Lord, that your anointing come down in this place, that you would talk to us in this place. Lord, without your anointing, my efforts are nothing, God. Help me to step out of the way and let you operate like you want to in this house, Lord. Bind us together. Do a work in our hearts. Help us to be equipped to be effective for you. God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And you can be seated. Hallelujah. I'll read that again for you. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let us each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I want to read to you Barnes' commentary describing this verse. and it, He says this way, he says, We are to form no plan or aim at no object which is to be secured in this way. The command prohibits all attempts to secure anything over others by mere physical strength or by superiority of intellect or numbers or as the result of dark schemes and plans formed by rivalry or by the indulgence of angry passions or with the spirit of ambition. We are not to attempt to do anything merely by outstripping others or by showing that we have more talent, courage, or zeal. What we do is to be by principle and with a desire to maintain the truth and to glorify God. In Philippians 2 and 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And I have to tell you tonight, church, that a lot of times <clears throat> we can get caught up with the day-to-day and the, and, the, and the pursuit of things to the place to where we get caught up with trying to be somebody. We've been hearing a lot here lately, as of late, about being a servant. And that's my title tonight, is The Servant. You see, the life we live is for God and not about us. I said the life we live is about God and not about us, and shouldn't be. We've got to push off that desire for preeminence and position. I'm telling you, church, the world doesn't need more religious people. What the world needs is real people. Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me that to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to his God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
Hallelujah. Not to think more highly of himself. You see, there's that problem that we run into sometimes is we allow ourselves to think we're something when we're nothing. We go a week or two weeks or a month or six months or a year and we've prayed every day and we've read our Bible every day and all of a sudden we begin to feel like we've arrived or somehow we feel like we've got something up on another brother or sister and and it says that we're not supposed to think of ourselves more highly than that. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to compare ourselves with ourselves. And, and then you get into that point where you start kind of critiquing your brother or your sister. Kind of look around, you say, where have they been? Where are they, what, what's happening with them? Uh, they, should, they, should, they should do better. They should do right. And then it goes as far sometimes as maybe you may go to a, a meeting somewhere and Maybe the standard isn't the same standard as what we have here. And you see some things that, that we, we don't accept here so much. But, and then you sit back and, and you spend your whole time critiquing what other people are doing. You get caught up in that. And, and if you're not careful, you, you get that pharisaical attitude where you just sit back and you think to yourself, I've arrived. And all the while, let's bring remembrance to what I read to you here tonight about let nothing, nothing, nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let nothing be done. If you, if you set out to do something to bring you glory or credit, you're doing it wrong. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And that attitude was the attitude of the Pharisees. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. That parable there is a great example of the attitude that I'm speaking about. And he said, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Hmm. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. It also describes the attitude of Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. And in the, in the uh, Living Translation says it like this, Everything they do is for show. Oh, their arm, on their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seat of honor in the synagogues. Talking about the attitude of a Pharisee. See, if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to, to get to the point where we think we're somebody when we're not. I've been to places where I've actually seen a backslider come walking in to a church. It wasn't here, but I've seen a backslider walk into a church that we hadn't seen for a long time. It was a female. And she come walking in. 
She didn't even get her feet into the sanctuary and somebody met her at the door and said, you know better than to be dressed like that. That's what I'm talking about. See, when the servant, the servant wouldn't act that way. The attitude of a servant wouldn't be that way. The servant would want to know, can I help you? Can I help you find a seat? It's so good to see you. And church, I'm coming here tonight to speak to us about we've got to have that attitude of a servant. But we can't have that attitude of a servant at the cost of stepping on others. We've got to be careful how we deal with our brothers and sisters. We've got to, we've got to know that, that we can be trusted with one another. I like it this way. It says we're not to blow out someone else's candle to make ours brighter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor, look what I'm doing. Shove your brother behind you. Hey, Pastor. It's me. Hmm. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it times and times. Man, you be it, you be it at a meeting or you be it at a banquet or you be at something. And somebody be sitting there, and, and all of a sudden the pastor walk in, and boy, they're on their feet, being seen. And I look at that, and I shake my head, and I say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, ten minutes ago, that brother asked you to do something, and you wouldn't even move. The pastor come walking in, now all of a sudden, you got jets on your heels. What happened? What happened was, it was all about, them. They were doing it out of vainglory. They were doing it to build themselves up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That different translation of our opening scripture reads this way, and I want to read it to you. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. I'm telling you, church, we've got to stay humble. We've got to stay humble because... We are in this thing together. We are in this thing together. Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to be conformed to His image. What is the definition of a Christian? To be Christ-like. To be Christ-like. And I know that's a cliche that's thrown out today in today's society. I'm a Christian as they puff on a cigarette. But I'm here to tell you, to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. It's to help others that can't help themselves. It's those times when you see a brother or your sister going through something and you lend a hand. Hey, I'm praying for you. You need anything. You call me. Hey, sister, I just noticed if you need something, you let me know. You call me. That's what we're to be. We're to, 
We're to help one another. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That word conformed there in the Greek means jointly formed or fashioned like unto. We're supposed to be like Him. And when we push one another out of the, out of side, out of the way, we're not being conformed to that image. Hallelujah, we're not being a servant. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Exodus, it gives a good description, Exodus 26, 15 through 30. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it describes about the walls or the boards of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it said each board was, is 10 cubits or 15 feet long by one and a half cubits or two point three or two. Two foot three inches wide. All were the same, made out of the same wood of shittim wood and overlaid with gold. And each board was the same size. Each board was the same size. That speaks to us as the church. There's no big eyes or little use in here. We're all in this thing together. We're all in this thing together. In Exodus 26 and 17, it says, And two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shall thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Those two tenons in the Hebrew definition literally means hands. So these boards were joined together by these two tenons or these two hands. And that's how the walls began to be put together and gain their strength is the tenons were put together and locked together as they put the boards together and the next boards put together. But there were so many boards in the building of this tabernacle, one board couldn't stand alone. It had to be locked into another in order for there to be strength and another and another and another. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It takes... Two or three of us together. Pastor, you were talking about in your, in your lesson about how Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. And the reason behind that was they could help each other. And that, that drove in my mind, that, that just solidified in my mind, we need each other. And so often we get in times and situations where, where like I spoke about last week, in, 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 in withdrawing within of ourselves or, or wanting to withdraw from ourselves, we go through things and we think the answer is get away. When the answer is get together. Get together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need one another. If one board, if one board was missing out of that tabernacle, it compromised that tabernacle. Each one of us are important. Each one of us are important. We need you. We need you. When you're not here, we miss you. We miss you. There's a spot there. We need you to, to grab our hand and help us to stay solid because out there in that desert, that, that storm's going to blow. There's going to be storms. There's going to be sandstorms and windstorms, and we've got to be locked together and, and solid to make it through those times. And if you're missing, we're not solid. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
It's at those times when we're in the midst of adversity, that's when a friend becomes a brother. That's when a friend becomes a brother. We're in this thing together. we got to make a difference in this hour we're living in. Tell you a story about when I was in high school, belonged to Key Club, and we sponsored, or we didn't sponsor, but we would help out with the Special Olympics that was held at our high school. And it was our job to go and to help the participants get to their um, event and to help them once they got done with the event to make sure they got back to where they were supposed to go. So we, we got there that morning, and the buses were pulling up with the kids, and, and uh, just so happened, I happened to catch a glimpse of this one young man. He come off the bus, and he was, he was pretty severely handicapped. He, was, he was, had a real bad limp, and, and, uh, but he got off the bus, and he was kind of milling around, and all of a sudden, here come another bus, and they, they stopped from a different facility, and, and a young man got off that bus, and I don't know what happened, but the two of them just clicked. And they become buddies. And everywhere during the day, you would see those two guys together whenever. I mean, they were just together. And they had never met before, but they was buds. And each one had different events that they had to go to. And then there came a time when the event was a 220-yard dash. And they both happened to be in the same race. And so they were on the other side of the track and we were all gathered over at the finish line like we were supposed to. And they were getting ready and man, they shot the, they shot the gun off. And here they went. And that one young man, he just took off. I mean, he was just a going. He was fast. And he was running real good, but his buddy wasn't faring well. Because he was severely handicapped and he wasn't doing well. And they was coming around the edge of the track, and everybody was cheering everybody on. And that young man, I mean, he was like 15 links out in front of everybody else, just a trucking. And he ended up down that finish line, and his coach was yelling at him, go, 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 go. And he was just a running, just a running, and his buddy was, he, he hadn't even made the first curve yet. And then all of a sudden, he gets about 50 yards from the finish line, Pastor. And that young man stops. And we're all like, what are you doing? And his coach is going, come on, come on. You got it, Juan, come on. You got it, you got it. Keep coming. And the young man stopped, turned around. He started, he started walking backwards. And all the other kids are running. His coach is hollering, no, 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 turn around. Come on, come on, you got this. He just kept looking. And he's seen him, seen his buddy. And he walked past all the other participants that were just running, running on past him. And he ran by. He grabbed his buddy by the hand. And he turned around. And together, they walked across the finish line. And man, when they got across the finish line, you thought that they had won the gold medal. They jumped and hollered and hooped and hollered. And as I sat and watched that, 
that taught me probably the best lesson that I ever learned when I was in high school. And that the gold medal don't matter. What matters is people. You matter. You matter. You've got to make it. You've got to make it across that finish line. And, and I'm not content running this race without you running with me. You see, uh, it just don't work that way, you see. It's, it's a matter of us getting out of here and, and getting to where we need to go. But I need you. I need your help. Hallelujah, hallelujah. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. How are they going to know? Are they going to know by your skirt length? Are they going to know by your hair? They're going to know by your love one for another. You see, church, we're not in the competition in this thing. We're in this thing together. Hallelujah. We're not jockeying for position. We're not trying to pursue something at the expense of pushing another brother or sister out of the way. We're in this thing to see the kingdom of God move forward. And if you get in, put into a position... I want to be there to help you. Anything I can do to help you, I want to help. Not to push you out of the way and say, you're not doing it right. No, to stand and say, what you need done. You need the trash taken out? Done. Hallelujah. You need the toilet scrubbed? I'm on it. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, And when he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Brother, come to the music. Jesus asked him, what you boys arguing about? What's the problem? Well. He's kind of arguing about who's going to be the top dog. to tell him if any man desires to be first 
best of all. Servant of all. It's not about what's my brother doing wrong. It's about what does my brother need. It's not about critiquing my sister about how she did something, but it's how can I help my sister? Let's all stand. I could never forget the shame I felt when I discovered it was Jesus who had washed my feet. Keep playing, bro. Okay. We were arguing about who was the greatest among us. Vigorously defending our right to the best positions in the coming kingdom. When someone came sliding along the floor to wash my feet. I never gave it a second thought, assuming it was the household servant. It was Peter who realized it first and drew our attention to him in his usual emotional outburst. While we were occupied in pride and arrogance, fussing and fighting about place and position, Jesus, the Master, was on the floor washing our feet. How could we have been so stupid and insensitive? He had just told us he was about to be betrayed by one of us. That he would suffer and his blood would be shed. But instead of thinking of him in his time of greatest need, we thought only of ourselves and our own selfish desires. When he had finished, he sat back down at the table and he told us that we should wash one another's feet. He said that he had given us an example and that we would be happy if we did. After he left, I had received the Holy Spirit and I wanted to be more like him. I began to wash feet. Whenever I had the opportunity, I would wash someone's feet. At first, my friends made fun of me. They suspected my motives, but as I continued, most of them learned to accept me and many came to expect it. They took for granted that I would wash their feet. I was accustomed to looking eye to eye, not eye to toe. It took quite an attitude adjustment. I had to overcome bad feelings. And I felt when washing the feet of someone who did not appreciate what I was doing. Sometimes I would get kind word, but most often I would not. I had trouble with the feet of those who treated me like a servant. Until I accepted the fact that I was a servant. It became a way of life for me. My hands became soft and always seemed clean. It seemed to me that my heart stayed soft and clean also. I discovered that it's hard to argue on your knees and that it's more difficult to be proud. I thought I had finally lost all my pride and was truly a servant and could sincerely wash anyone's feet. But then I came to some feet that were so dirty and so stained that I was repulsed. I had washed dirty feet before. 
but these seemed virtually caked with rust. They seemed as though they had walked around the world bare. The filth of centuries seemed to cling to them. They were obviously the feet of someone much lower than I. Pride that I didn't know I had rose up within me. Feelings that I thought were long dead let me know they were alive and well. I was shocked at my own reaction to these filthy feet. Old familiar feelings stirred in me and jogged my memory. I had a sense of deja vu. I was back at the old room sitting at the table. I was vigorously defending my right to the best and the highest position. I was arguing with the others about who was the greatest and then I had discovered Jesus had washed my feet as I jostled for position. All my shame came flooding back. Red-faced, teary-eyed, I knelt and touched the dirty feet. Remembering that Jesus, the Master, had washed my feet while I was consumed with pride and arrogance, I began to scrape at the substance caked on those feet. Soon the water basin was stained a dirty, rusty brown. Slowly the true color of the feet began to emerge. One stubborn spot would not come clean. I lifted the foot from the brackish water. I wiped the tears from my eyes with the back of my hands so I could see better. I rubbed the spot on the foot, splashed water over it. A scar. I reached for the other foot. A matching scar. Gasping, I looked up into the face of Jesus. He was smiling. He said, well done. My good faithful servant. Let's lift our hands to Him. It's not about me. (laughs) It's not about me. More more of you and less of me, Jesus. (laughs) Oh God, help me. Help me, God, to to get this out of me, God. And Jesus, that's it, church. God, help us, help us, God, (laughs) to realize it's all about you. It's all about you. Oh, God, oh, God, to lay aside the prideful ambitions, God, to lay it all aside. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus.